1: This is Classical Ideas with Greg Soden. Welcome to Classical Ideas. This is Greg Soden. As I was reading the collected letters of Alan Watts, edited by Joan and Ann Watts, who appeared as a two-part special episode about the life and work of Alan Watts in episodes 32 and 33, a moment in the letters jumped out at me, specifically in a letter from Alan to his parents on page 107, and discussed in further detail by Joan Watts on page 209 of that volume. Alan Watts's first mother-in-law was named Ruth Fuller Sasaki. She was an important and influential figure in Zen Buddhism. On page 107 of the Collected Letters of Alan Watts, Alan writes to his parents of the detention in Japanese internment camps of Ruth's Zen teacher whom I later discovered is Sokeon Sasaki, the founder of the first Zen Institute of America, the very first Zen center established in the West and still in New York City to this day. Sokeon Sasaki began practicing Zen in 1875 in Japan under Rinzai master Imakita Kosen, in his bio found at firstzen.org, Sokheon's story reads as follows. Kosin's most celebrated disciple, Soyan Shaku, visited America in 1893 to attend the World's Parliament of Religions in Chicago. In 1905, he returned to America where he lectured and taught briefly. Soyan assigned responsibility for the lay Zen Institute Kosin founded to his Dharma heir, Sokatsu Shaku. Sokeon was Sokatsu's student and came to America with him in 1906 to establish a Zen community in this community, in this country. When Sokatsu returned to Japan in 1910, Sokeon remained. After wandering across America and improving his English, he made several trips back to Japan and received credentials as a lay Zen master from Sokatsu. He became a priest during the 1930s because he felt Americans would not respect a layperson bringing Zen. Sokeon Sasaki and Ruth Fuller Sasaki, who did get married, are owed a great debt of gratitude by Western Buddhists because of their pioneering work. The stories of Ruth and Sokeon are told in-depth in the new book, Zen Odyssey, the story of Sokeon, Ruth Fuller Sasaki, and the birth of Zen in America, by Janica Anderson and Stephen Zahavi Schwartz. Janica, the author, befriended Joan Watts some years ago, and the story of Ruth and Sokeon captivated her. She researched and crafted the story over many years, and I'm pleased to have her on the show to discuss the book today. The book is amazing. It highlights their marriages, bringing Zen to the West, extensive stories about Ruth becoming the first Westerner ever ordained, a Zen priest in Japan, and has a large list of well-known scholars like Alan Watts, Gary Snyder, and Burton Watson making appearances. If you are interested in Buddhism, this is essential history for you. Without further delay, I bring you my conversation with Janica Anderson, author of Zen Odyssey, out now from Wisdom Publications. Janica, thank you so much for coming on Classical Ideas. Thank you. So I'm curious if you can just go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit to the audience and um, help us get to know you a little bit.
0: Okay. Um, well, uh, I, I got interested in this story because um, I had led groups at Esalen Institute, which included um, Alan Watts' uh, working there and I had gotten to know Joan Watts, his, his daughter. And, um, uh, actually I'd gotten to know her quite a bit. And, uh, at one point I started, um, a publishing company publishing the audio recordings of Esalen, which included Alan Watts. And, um, I had, um, the, the sound studio and the ability to transfer old reel-to-reel tapes to cassette. And Joan had in her attic 27 hours of interviews of jo- of Ruth, her grandmother, in 1966, at the year before her death. And the interviews were conducted by Gary Snyder. And she gave them to me, partly because she wanted uh, cassettes of them, and partly because she was very interested that somebody knows about her grandmother, and I was fascinated by the, the, the cassettes, by the, by the interviews, and that's what started me in this journey.
1: Excellent. So, just for um, some background information, who are Ruth Fuller Sasaki and Sokeon Sasaki?
0: Well, um, Ruth was a wealthy uh, woman uh, in Chicago. Um, She went to the University of Chicago. She was very, very smart. Um, She studied Sanskrit at the University of Chicago. She studied a lot of Eastern religion materials. And she uh, had an arranged marriage. Her parents arranged a marriage because she was very outspoken and wasn't very marriageable material at the time. (laughs) And so they arranged a marriage uh, to a man, a criminal attorney, a very um, prominent criminal attorney, 20 years her senior, who was crippled by um, polio, and um, he was a very nice man, um, but it wasn't a love marriage, and um, uh, they had a daughter, and um, she, but she continued studying uh, Eastern religions, and um, and she had a, a strong interest in all of this. Now, a lot of women in society were dabbling in this, but she didn't dabble. She was pretty serious, and uh, at one point, she and her husband, they were very wealthy. She was wealthy independently of him. Uh, her father had been in the commodities market in Chicago, and he was independently wealthy. His family was very wealthy, and he made a great deal of money himself. Um, he actually prosecuted Al Capone's people, and um, uh, at one point um, they took they took more than one round-the-world cruise. And at one point they went to Japan, and she met with D. D. who had written the only books in English about Zen Buddhism. And she asked him, well, how can I learn more about Zen Buddhism? And he said, well, you can't in America because there's no teachers there. And the only way you can learn is to come to Japan. So she proceeded when she got back to America to make make a, uh, plans to go back to Japan. Now, her husband wasn't too keen on this because he... Uh, dependent upon her to make beautiful dinners for his clients and and to raise his his daughter, he wasn't happy about this. But she was going to do this, and so she went back to Japan. And um, he Suzuki arranged for a teacher, which wasn't that easy to find a teacher who would teach a westerner and a woman. And he arranged for a teacher who found had a house that he was going to retire to that she could come and meditate and teach and learn with him. Um, she had her own house, but she would come there every day and meditate. And uh, one day, she had an experience, and she actually had a Satori experience. And when the, her translator realized what had happened and told the Roshi what had happened, The monks in the Zendo were very excited and invited her to sit with them. And no no Westerner and no woman had ever been allowed to sit with the monks in the Zendo. It was an absolutely phenomenal experience for that to happen. And she was very, very excited. And she said in her writings that she felt that she had come home. It was just unbelievable for her for this to happen. And she spent spent the year there um, meditating and and learning about Zen and went home and then went back another year, this time with her daughter. And this time her husband was very angry. Her husband, at that point, his health was declining. And when she went back, she spent another year. And when she went back to the States, she didn't know what to do because she didn't have a teacher. And somebody told her about Sokayen, who was in New York at that point, starting to teach Zen in his apartment in New York. And he had been a son of a samurai and had studied uh, sculpture in the University of Tokyo from a very famous sculpting teacher. And he had um, been working at a post office and had a fellow employee talk to him about Zen. And he had went to study uh, Zen and got very, very interested in it. Um, a samurai was very high class, a high caste in in um, Japan. He very highly educated, knew a great deal about many things, and his father had taught him many things. His father had died when he was 15, but his father had taught him many, many things, and so he already knew a great many things about a lot of things, and so he was very, very interested in Zen. And eventually, after he graduated, he was actually in the army for a while. Um, and uh, when he finished that, his teacher, his Zen teacher, took a bunch of them to America. And he, his Zen teacher asked him to marry a, one of the students that was a woman who couldn't come unless she was married. So he to he married the woman, the Japanese woman, to please his teacher, so that she could go. And they actually bought a strawberry farm in Haywood, California. And they were going to raise strawberries, and then they were going to learn about America and maybe open a Zen place in America. But they were university students, and they were terrible farmers, and the the place they bought actually was terrible, terrible land. And they were totally unsuccessful. And so all of them went back except Sokian and his wife, and they went to San Francisco. And he went to the, Univers- the Institute of San Francisco. And, but they found the yellow laws in San Francisco really oppressive. And so they went up to Seattle and, um, which, and went out to the San Juan Islands where there were a lot of Indians and were much more comfortable there. And he made a, he, by them, they had two children. And he made a, a, a comp- compact with his wife. Uh, contract with his wife, that um, he would be there for the winter with her and the children, but all summer he would walk all over the Pacific Northwest and write stories for Japanese uh, newspapers and, and journals about what he saw, and he would also meditate. And he did that until his mother became ill in Japan, and he sent his wife back to Japan to take care of his mother. And in the meantime, his teacher in Japan asked him to come back and continue his studies until he felt, the teacher felt he was a Zen master, and then asked him, um, uh, when when she went back to Japan, he went to New York and was in Greenwich Village, and hung out with the Bohemians there, and sculpted, and worked for Tiffany's, and worked on their their, their, uh, sculptings there, and and uh, was still writing and sending money back to his wife in Japan. And um, eventually, his teacher in Japan said, you have to stop all this other activity and just start teaching. And his teacher wanted him to learn all about Americans and learn how to speak English really well so that he had a chance to really be able to teach Americans about them. And so he got other Japanese businessmen to help him uh, open a Zen center in his apartment in New York. And he started doing that, and people told Ruth about this man in, in New York that was going to teach Zen. And she went to meet him, and went back and forth, and had dinner with him, and got to know him. And they were both very strong-willed, and and I guess she talked Ruth talked about them having like two cats kissing at each other on a <laughs> fence. and um but, but they really appreciated each other. and um so eventually, Ruth's husband became really ill, and she put him in a nursing home near New York and moved to New York to to work with sokeyen and help him uh, really help him work his new a Zen center, and they, together, they started the first Zen center in the United States, 1930. Okay. And eventually, yeah, go ahead now. So, um... You keep going and going.
1: (laughs) I know, right? And the story is just so spectacular, and you've woven this incredible tale about both of their lives, and you, like, tell their early lives, and then you bring them together.
0: They were both incredibly big people both incredibly bright both incredibly uh expansive i mean they were unbelievable people and and both matched each other you know they both they both matched each other in their bigness you know they're both very very smart people so
1: your book tells this unbelievable story and it also describes just how Serious, they both are in their practice. Yes. They have an an incredibly serious Zazen sitting practice. They have an incredibly serious translating and artwork and founding the center. Yes. So so it seems to me that these two are single handedly responsible for the presence of Zen in the United States.
0: In the West. In the West. In the West. Right. So, so what.
1: Well, so, what kind of uh, what debt of gratitude does every American Buddhist owe to these two folks?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, back then, um, it was tra- except for DZ Suzuki, who wrote about Zen in English, there was no knowledge about Zen Buddhism in America at all. And it wasn't until the '60s that there was any other practicing roshi or any other Zen center in America. There was a long hiatus before there was any other thing happening in America. And they were the first people that brought Zen to America. And after Sokian died, he was interned during the war and he died, he had bad health and they eventually fell in love and married and he died of bad health from being in the internment camp. And she went back to Japan and was ordained a Zen priest and had her own temple, which was absolutely unheard of, and was written up in, in Time magazine because it was such a phenomenal event. And she made a place where Westerners could come and learn about Zen. And people like Joseph Campbell and Houston Smith and Gary Snyder came there and learned about Zen, and then brought it back. The no- their knowledge of Zen brought it back to Westerners and wrote about it and so that you know she really was was very instrumental in people understanding about what zen was and knowing that zen was there for them so she had a tremendous influence on on zen being known about in the west
1: so what drew you to ruth and sokeon enough to want to tell this story because i know you worked on this book for years and um, yes. Why did you feel powerful enough about the story of Ruth and Sokan to want well, to write first, this? This book. First of all,
0: I had a grandmother that was that was a lot like Ruth. My grandmother graduated from Wellesley in 1899, and and for her generation, you know, she really stood out, and I she was a very powerful lady, and I really loved her and. Um, So she reminded me of my grandmother, and listening to those 27 hours of her uh, interview with Gary Snyder just blew me away. And... Talking to Joan Watts, uh, Joan Watts had an art studio next door to a friend of mine, and um, and Joan Watts had was the executor of Alan Watts' estate, and I had uh, uh, Alan Watts' lectures, and so I spent quite a lot of time with Joan, and Joan really realized that people didn't know how important her grandmother was to Zen, and, and I realized what, a, what an incredible opportunity this was to bring knowledge about her grandmother to people. And, and then as I listened to her, I mean, it was unbelievable to listen to her. And then I, heard, I, list, I found out about Sokayan, and that just fascinated me. And I realized they had fallen in love and both of them had had arranged marriages. Both of them hadn't had love marriages, and they fell in love. And it just fascinated me. The whole story fascinated me. And I just, I just could not leave it alone. Even though I had a, a publishing house and, and a, you know, a, a full life, I just couldn't leave it alone. I had to go forward and, and learn more about it. And I had Joan and Anne as part of the family to help me you know, go forward.
1: Hmm. So, the book which I read and loved, and think that everybody who hears this should buy, um, the book has this incredible tour of all of the sites in their lives. So you talk about the house in Chicago. You talk about the Brownstones, both of them in New York City. You talk about yes. Sokeon's apartments. You talk about Ruth's Temple Riosan, on in yes. Japan. Yes. Did you get to go? To the sites in the book firsthand? Like, did you go to Ruth's houses and Sokeon's house and Ruth's townhouse and the first Zen Institute and the Japanese temples? Like, did you go on any pilgrimages to these sites?
0: Well, I didn't get to Japan because I tried to raise money with a (laughs) kickfatter. And I and I wasn't able to do it, and I didn't have the money. But I went every place else. I went um, to uh, Ruth's, uh, the house she grew up in, in in, in Hinsdale. I went to the house she and her first husband built, Swan House, a beautiful home that they built in, in Hinsdale. I went to the brownstone. I actually, the the brownstone she had bought for the Zen Institute in New York happened to be for sale. So I was able to go and and walk into it and, and walk all around it in New York. Uh, I went to the the First Sin Institute of New York was in a different place, but I was able to go to where it was now because it still, it still is there and still functioning. Um, I went to the home of Carlton Gamer, who was uh, her, her daughter, who married Alan Watts. Um, her second husband was Carlton Gamer, and I went to his home in Colorado Springs. And so I went to many places that... Um, that were homes of people. I went to the home of her secretary. While she was living in Japan, she had a secretary in the States who could take care of things in the States for her because she constantly needed help from people, somebody in the States to buy things for her. Like she constantly would buy furnishings and things for the for the First Institute in, in New York. She would buy furnishings for them and all kinds of things for them. And so she had a Japanese woman in New York that could buy things for her. And so I went to see her, you know. So, uh, you know, I went to all these people and all these places to... Uh, interview people and and visit the places where she had been and where she had lived and and uh, it was you know it was fascinating i i, were, I loved all that
1: were the um, were the people that were living in her homes like in chicago um yeah. were they amazed when you just showed up at their house and told them the story of how their home is linked to the founding of well, American they, Buddhism? They knew,
0: they knew about her and I've sent them the book. You know, she had this she built this beautiful home called Swan House and they knew about her. They didn't know the 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 details of the story, but they knew about her, and they were very gracious in letting me wander around the house, and they gave me plans of the house. I had the architectural plans in the book Yeah, because it's such a beautiful home, and, uh, and she helped design that house. You know, she was instrumental in designing the house, and it was called Swan House, and there were swans carved on the eaves of the house, and, um, and she, on one of her trips to China, she uh lived in the in a uh in the home of a uh, uh an embassy um a beautiful home where there was uh, a center courtyard with with buildings all around the center and they stayed there and she had um p- uh, merchants coming by cart and by camel and by horseback bringing goods for her to look at antiques and all kinds of rugs and silks and everything and she went home with 50 crates of chinese antiques and they would fill that house and that and that house was filled with these things she bought in china and i and you know i had descriptions of rooms that she had filled with these beautiful things and i went when i went to joan watts's house in montana she had a couch, couch bed that came from that house uh, that Soka in and actually sleep, slept in in the brownstone. A beautiful, beautiful bed, couch bed. And but, but, you know, because she had so much money, she could yeah. just buy anything she wanted, you know, I mean just gorgeous and i imagine i wanted to make a film and can you imagine the, the 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 scene in this film where daily these these merchants were by camel by cart by horseback were bringing all these beautiful things for her to look at to buy i mean it just what a scene you know
1: my goodness a yeah,
0: beautiful scene um, but anyway so have
1: you ever yeah. uh, did you get a chance to so so kaon was basically like a master sculptor he was a
0: sculptor yes did he, you get to see had, any of his work yes in at the institute in new york um has pieces of his sculpting and i photographed a few pieces and they're in the book um and you know he he had studied in university of tokyo he had studied with a very famous sculptor and um, and even before that, before he had gone to the University of Tokyo, he had apprenticed to a sculptor. And um, before he went to the university, he had he had walked all around the Japanese Alps, and and sculpted dragons for temples. <laughs> and he, that, that's how he had made his way, and you know how he fed himself, and you know was able to to live and so he had even before he went to the university of tokyo he had been sculpting but so,
1: um but um, he
0: also you know he wrote you know he also wrote you know so he was a he wrote poetry too i mean he, he was very fat many faceted person
1: do you have any like surviving correspondence between sokeon and ruth in their like in their own handwriting
0: no, I'm not aware that they ever wrote to each other because she would just go to. Before she lived in New York, she would just go to New York. So I'm not. I'm not aware that they wrote to each other.
1: Was there anything? So like, they may
0: have. I'm just not aware of it.
1: Do do uh, do the Watts family or anybody that you've worked with on this project? Do they have any like um, journals or writings or anything like that that she ever sent to them or wrote?
0: Well. You know, all the time as she was in Japan, um, the the first the first Zen Institute of New York had uh, a thing called Zen Notes, which was a uh, newsletter that they had an enormous um, uh, uh, audience for that they sent out. Everywhere, I mean, you know, because they were the first first place that anybody knew anything about Zen from, and they had an enormous mailing list for this. And all the years she was in Japan, she wrote letters to this Zen Notes about what was happening for her in Japan, and I had all of those. And, and so her her life in Japan and her words, I had to use for the book. Gotcha. And that was wonderful. I mean, it was a wonderful thing to have. You know, so I had that. You know, and there was also a thing called Cats Gone, which was an earlier uh, version of newsletter that the institute had that I had use of. But I also had letters. She had a best friend, um, and I found her letters uh, in a library at Yale. Uh, that I found, you know, personal letters that she wrote to her best friend and uh you know so i had other letters that i found and um you know she she you know she was she a very prolific letter writer and i found other letters that she wrote and um but you know there was just so much that i found uh, about her and of her and yeah you know i didn't have any trouble finding material <laughs>
1: So a, a name, I just want to go on a, a small tangent here for a second. Uh-huh. Um, one of the names that you keep mentioning is Alan Watts and the reason that you and I were able to correspond and now do this conversation huh? is because of Joan and Ann Watts, who I had right. on who I had on this show last right. month to, to talk about their collected letters of Alan Watts book, and yeah. they mentioned that that you had written this book, and they suggested we get together. And right. in that book, they both mentioned that Ruth and Alan have sort of. Uh, an interesting relationship, because Ruth thinks that Alan isn't serious enough, but Alan is also like one of the public faces of right. East, of Eastern philosophy in the United States in the 1960s right. and 70s. Right. So, are people surprised when you tell them that Alan Watts quit formal Zen practice after his first attempted koan with Sokeon?
0: Well, first of all, we make sure we establish the relationship. Uh, Ruth's daughter, Eleanor... Uh, they went to New- they went to London because Ruth had been a concert pianist. Ruth also knew like four languages. You know, but she was very highly educated, and she was a concert pianist. And her teacher had moved from Chicago to London, and Ruth took her to study with her pre-teacher in London. And she took her to the Buddhist Society in London where Alan Watts was a secretary. Well, actually, his father was a secretary. And Alan Watts was a prodigy. I mean, he, you know, he read his, wrote his first book at a very young age, as a teenager, practically. And Alan Watts was there, and his daughter, her daughter... Eleanor met Alan there, and they fell in love and married and came to the United States. So Ruth was the mother-in-law of Alan Watts. And so Alan Watts uh, came because the war was imminent, and he wanted to remove himself from London and the war. He came to live uh, in in New York in an apartment uh, very near uh, uh, Ruth. And Sokeyan, and Alan talks about in one of his books about he watched Ruth and Sokien fall in love and and they they did a lot of things together they went they did driving trips and went to dinner together and things and um and and Alan had already communicated with with so very young, he knew about Sokien and he had written letters to Sokiyan very young and he really admired who sokien was and admired uh the fact that he was a, a you know a really incredible teacher but it wasn't ellen's forte to have a teacher like sokien even though he really liked Zen and really liked the idea of it it wasn't it wasn't his thing to sit and 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 Figure out Cohen's and do the whole trip. He didn't last very long. Sokian <laughs> okay didn't have have much patience with him, and so it didn't last very long. And you know, Alan never really got to that place in in with, with all, the, all the all the all the different religions and things he studied. You know, I, I mean, if you look at Joseph Campbell, he never did either. You right. know. He he studied he he was, they they both were people that introduced everybody to everything, and and you know Alan introduced everybody to everything. I remember the first book I read of him; he blew me away. You know, I mean he he just you know took my mind and blew it apart. You know, and and I was so grateful to him. You know, but Alan didn't. Didn't practice. He didn't get into a into a into a practice with something, and but he but he totally admired Sokian, and 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 I think he wished he had been able to do that, but he but he didn't. You know, it wasn't who he was. You know, that's. uh and,
1: it's a really good little story in the book about Alan and Sokian doing their koan practice.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Alan Alan just couldn't put it together. (laughs) I love it.
1: Um, So So Sokeon was a Japanese man who lived in the United States for decades, and he was a really peaceful man, yet we know the terrible and horrific history of Japanese internment in the United States during World War II after Pearl Harbor. Right. and. So he gets arrested by the FBI when he's founding right. the, Zen, the first Zen Institute in America, and it's a turning point in his life, and it kind of led right. him into like a downturn in his own physical abilities as a Roshi right. and as a human being. Right. So how did his internment affect the first Zen Institute, which was just sort of getting off the ground?
0: Well it well, you know, Ruth had bought this brownstone. It had been the institute had been in his apartment, which had been supported by a couple of Japanese businessmen. They had helped furnish the apartment and everything. And and then Ruth's money came into it. And um and then Ruth bought this brown brownstone, which I have a picture of in the book. And and she put an elevator in it, which was unheard of at that point. And, um, and she originally had an apartment on the top floor for her mother, but her mother died before she had a chance to use it. But she had a, a floor, a, apartment floor for Soki and an apartment for her, and then two floors for, for the Zen Institute and a library. And um, it o- opened to the Institute, Uh, a month ahead of time, and then it was having a public opening. And I think it was either the day before or the day after Pearl Harbor that it opened. I can't remember which was which. But, of course, you know, then it couldn't open. Then it was was gone, you know, because, you know, here at Japanese Institute opening with Pearl Harbor. And for a whole year, you know, the FBI followed them around. And, you know, they looked at his writings because he'd written all this stuff for Japanese journals. And they looked at his writings and they picked out something and said, well, this, this doesn't look right, you know. But, you know, I live in San Francisco. I've lived out here for years. And, you know, they rounded up whole blocks of people here, you know. It didn't matter who they were or what they did. They just rounded them up. And had them take everything, anything they could carry, and put them on buses, and took them into the, into the deserts, horrible places. And at least Sokean didn't go to a horrible place like they did here. You know, I mean, there were terrible places they brought them to here. He was in Maryland; it wasn't quite as bad. But unfortunately, you know, N had high blood pressure. His father had died of it, and he had just had a hemorrhoid operation before he was taken and so he wasn't well and so it was very bad for him because he didn't have good health care there and um and he probably would have lived a long life with the high blood pressure they didn't have the kind of care they do nowadays but but um he didn't he didn't do well and it broke his health which was very sad because it, it um shortened his life so and- very he, sad.
1: So he did have children when he was alive with his first wife. Did, yes. Were you yes, able? He, does he have any surviving family? Were you able to contact any of the Soka and Sasaki for family?
0: Didn't I? But I have. I had letters. Um, Ruth Ruth kept in touch with his his children and their children, and and I have letters in the book um, uh, that she communicated with them, and she kept in touch with them. And um, and you know helped them, and I'm sure they're still still you know alive, and, and I'm sure the family is still there, and um, some of them went back to Japan, but um, you know he he was co- he was he was helpful to his family and 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 you know his his children, and um, but I didn't have I didn't have any direct communication with them. I but, know that uh, uh,
1: I know that you and Joan Watts are particularly close friends. Um, what yes. was it, what was it like spending time with the Watts family when preparing this book? Was it like a really joyful project for them to be able to help you well, out with, with this?
0: With Joan, with Joan, yeah, and also with Carlton, you know Eleanor's uh, second husband after after she uh, divorced with Alan. Um, it was very good with Carlton because um, you know Eleanor. Um, confided uh, or, or or Ruth confided with Eleanor about her love of Sokian. and you know the Zen Institute wasn't that happy having um people know about uh Solkie and Ruth being in love you know that was something they were a little uh, nervous about to say the least and so it was really, I mean, you know, Alan wrote about it in his book, but that was, of course, later. But um, but Carlton knew a lot about it. By that point, Eleanor was dead, you know, Alan's wife. But um, but uh, Ruth had confided in her daughter, Eleanor. And then uh, so Carlton knew a lot about it. Uh, Ruth and Sokian and so he was able to, you know, really tell me a lot about their relationship, and that was really wonderful because for both uh, both So-kay-in and Ruth, it was the love of their lives. And and Ruth hadn't really had much of a sexual relationship with her husband, and Sokian really gave her that in her life that she hadn't had, mm-hmm. and you know, and they had they had a wonderful uh, love relationship. And it was wonderful that Carlton could tell me about that. You know, I really appreciated that.
1: So when you went to the first Zen Institute of America in New York City, Mm -hmm. are there still pieces of furniture or paintings in the building that um, Ruth is responsible for putting in the Institute?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, yes. I mean, she bought a lot of things for that Institute, and they're still there. And and like I said, the Sochians, uh sculpting there—they have it. I mean, they had huge archives of Sokian stuff. Um, the woman Mary Balkus, who was uh, a, the strong woman in that institute, was very jealous of Ruth. You know Ruth had all this money, you know, and a lot of people get very jealous of people that have a lot of money and and also, Ruth had a love relationship with soke and and a lot of people have a lot of trouble with somebody who has a relationship with the guru that they can 't have and so mary Mary was very jealous of that and and after Ruth had passed mary Mary lived for a very, very long time. And Mary was very big part of that institute long after Ruth had died. And uh, Mary was uh, uh, responsible for having a book published of Sokian's lectures. There were a bunch of women who sat taking notes of Sokian's lectures, and they published a book about it and uh, of his lectures, so that a lot of his teachings are available now. And so there, there was jealousy. <laughs> so so if you look at their website, there isn't a lot of Ruth there, even though right. Ruth was a strong part of their institute. And Ruth, when she translated all these, you know, she had a library and all these scholars, and she translated all these books. And the uh, Institute of, in New York um, published a lot of those books. But you still don't have a sense of her strong presence as part of that institute, even though she was very much a part of its beginnings, and that's partly because of the jealousy of Mary. So,
1: and,
0: and they're they're honoring Mary, you know.
1: Right. So your book is um, really in depth, and I. I love it for that, and it also reads very smoothly. It's not a it's not a slog of a read. It's really fantastic, (laughs) Uh, and how with how readable it is. But um, I'm curious. And
0: that's Stephen. That's partly Stephen. Stephen had worked for me. um, You know, I wrote. I did all the research, and then I did a, a, a first draft. But I'm. Uh, I love books. I do a tremendous amount of reading, and I know what good writing is. And Stephen had worked for me when I had my tape publishing company, and I knew what a wonderful writer he was and a good editor he was. And so I knew I needed somebody to help me with that. And part of what you see is Stephen's good writing. So he took all of my research and my first draft and and made it better. Excellent. So, which, you see, a lot of the good writing is Stevens', and, and I'm very uh, grateful for that.
1: It's really cool that you and he are are co-authors on here as well. Like, I think that's right. great. And I think we that, were
0: friends; we were good friends, so it was very comfortable for me to work with him, which I was very grateful for.
1: Yeah. So, this book is such an in-depth look. Um, but were there any questions that you couldn't find out the answer to with regards to Ruth and Sokeon? Were there any questions left unanswered? Uh-huh.
0: Uh, not that i'm aware- not that I'm aware of actually <laughs>
1: that's gotta feel uh, good,
0: yeah, I mean actually, you know um Michael um who's the president of the Institute in New York, was very, very generous. he totally opened his files to me um I could copy anything I wanted um he was very generous for this time, um even though there was that little thing with Mary, you know, uh, some little old jealousy there and stuff. I never felt any reluctance for them to not help me, and he did. I think on the back of the book it does say Michael felt the the book was very accurate. And it was, you know, I didn't know when I sent him. He asked for a copy of the book before I published it, not to necessarily change anything, but because um, he just wanted to see it. And and he wrote back and felt it was very accurate. And I I it did a a quick sigh. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know what he'd say, you know. And I felt very grateful that he felt that because we certainly tried to make it very accurate, but um, but I really had a great deal of, of help, and I really I don't know if there was anything that I wanted to know. I didn't find out. I did feel bad I didn't get to Japan, and um, the other book, the, a small book that was written by a librarian um, using also the um, interviews of Gary Snyder, uh, she went to Japan, and so I read what she had written about Japan, and I knew a great deal about Um, Japan and at that point um, school children went by busloads to her place because she was very well known about in Japan even though she wasn't known about here so um, and recently I found uh, up until recently there was always a Roshi at the temple there but recently at the moment um, I understand there isn't a a Roshi there and that's just because the Roshi that was there got ill or something but, do you um do you have always, any
1: more? Do you have any more projects that you're planning on in the future, or is this kind of like a nice little rest time after several <laughs> years of hard work?
0: well, um I, I might write a biographical thing that um I have an ancestry of witches hung in Salem.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. And,
0: and um, my grandfather talked to me. That I had three of my ancestors were accused of witchcraft, and, and their mother was accused of witchcraft earlier. And two of them were hung. And there was a PBS series uh, done about them. And Arthur Miller wrote about one of them, Rebecca Norse. And uh, when I was growing up, I visited. The family still owned her house. And I visited that house when I was young and i have visited recently and um and it really influenced my life knowing about her and um i lived in the amazon for a while and i lived with a shaman Iwascaro uh, Culindero, and i traveled with him in the amazon and we met a man that he had known um and he was the son of an ayahuasca and um This woman had um, written a book about his father, and he had ended up marrying her, and she was a a professor at a college in Southern California, and he invited me to come to dinner at their house in Southern California when I came back to the States. So I went down, and she said, you know, I'm very lucky because most of the witches in, in Europe that were burned at the stake were burned before they ever had children. So the genetic pools died with them. But my ancestry they were in their eighties when they were hung. So their genetic pool lived. So there's something about hereditary witch in my family. <laughs> so I'm quite fascinated by it and I've all my life I have it has influenced my life and I've kinda liked to write about it. <laughs> so you know, wow. I, went, I when I worked at Harvard, I had because I was a researcher, I had what was called an open stack pass, which meant I could go anywhere, and Harvard had a huge occult library, and I spent a lot of time there, you know. So things like that and uh so it's just always interested me and I thought I might write about it.
1: Well, you definitely have your work cut out for that project. <laughs> um But, Janica, thank you so much for talking to me today. Um, Your book, Zen Odyssey, the Story of Sokayan Ruth Fuller Sasaki and the Birth of Zen in America, is out now from Wisdom Publications. Janica, thank you so much for spending this hour with me today.
0: Thank you very much. I really have enjoyed this. Thank you.
1: Classical Ideas is produced by me, Greg Soda. Music on Classical Ideas is performed and composed by Derek Striving. You can find his music at www.wearewarmmusic.com. If you would like to support this show, please subscribe or leave a rating in iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.